Welcome back to Shred's Takes, and I'm joined again by Grant Robinson. He was on a podcast of mine back in June, um, and, you know, talk about a guy who likes his few hot takes. Grant Robinson's your man. Um, but on a serious note, you know, very intelligent guy, great teammate of mine. You know, we're going to be playing again together next year, both taking a gap year this year. So I'm um, just going to talk some NBA, talk some D.C. football a little bit, talk a little bit about the Washington football team, and... Uh, I'm excited to get into that. So, Grant, thank you for coming back onto the show, bud. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Might have a few more hot takes, but we'll see about that. So, I think just getting into it generally, um, you watched the NBA Finals Game 3 last night, I assume, right? Of course. Um, so, what were some key takeaways you took from the game? Um, I'll, 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 after you go, I'll chime in with a few takeaways of my own, but what did you take away from the game? Yeah, well, I think um, it's interesting. Like, I think the series as a whole um, has been really interesting to watch because, and like, for example, in game one, like you saw the Lakers kind of just tear apart their zone. And a lot of that was sort of predicated, I thought, off of one, like the Lakers hitting open threes. Um, so like guys like Marcus Morris, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, even Rondo, like I think they, they really have to shoot well um, against the zone. And then also like, just the rebounding aspect, um, like the bigs on the Lakers, Anthony Davis, were kind of one getting into the paint, like getting into the middle um, and finding the ball and rebounding. And I think in game three, a lot of that changed. Um, obviously AD got into foul trouble pretty early. Um, and I think that kind of, um, you know, it allowed the, the heat to set the tone in terms of like what they did on the glass. Um, and then also the way they were able to like control the paint and manage their bigs. Um, and then also like the turnovers that the Lakers had in the beginning were really sloppy. And I know like people said LeBron didn't have any help, um, but I think LeBron was also, you know, one of the biggest like factors in like those turnovers. Um, so I think he kind of has to, you know, play better next game too. Yeah, something I took away too was just, um... I think defensively what happened against for LeBron is I think LeBron um, overthought a little bit too much in game three. So what I mean by that is like when he was trying, when he had Jimmy Butler on him, he was like so eager to get a switch when he could, again, he tried to back him down a couple of times and he would travel because he was trying to do too, too much stuff down the paint where he could have just backed him down and just shot a hook over him. Cause he is 270 pounds. All he has to do is back him down and lay the ball in. Um, and then, yeah, on the other hand, Anthony Davis also just like, I don't know where he was yesterday. Um, I think that, again, that was foul trouble. Um, you know, the people in the media saying that Anthony Davis just decided not to show up. I mean, I don't think Anthony Davis goes into a game. He's like, yeah, I'm going to put up 15 points. Um, I think it was also like, you know, Miami did a good job attacking him early, uh, double teaming him when he got the ball to kind of get his rhythm out of place, make him a perimeter player. I think I saw a stat last night that he had like three uh, field goal attempts in the paint which if Miami wants to continue doing that, uh, like that's going to be to their, um, you know, that's going to make them effective going forward. I don't think that's going to continue. Um, I don't, I think the Lakers will adjust because, you know, they have LeBron. So as long as you have LeBron, I think you have a good chance to win. Um, uh, going on with that, you know, where do you see, do you see the series? Like, do you think that's the only, you know, game that Miami has winning or do you think, oh, you know, this is the start of things to come, you know, you know, according to Jimmy Butler here, you know, the Lakers are in trouble. Yeah, I think uh, that was probably the worst thing he could have said, um, to be honest, especially to LeBron. Like, 
Um, I think that the Lakers will do some, you know, re- not, not necessarily restructuring, but just like rethinking about how they, you know, need to approach the game because I think they came in and they were a bit too relaxed. And I think that's part of the reason why they had the turnovers. So I think moving forward, they'll correct it. Um, my original prediction, prediction was that the Lakers would win in six. Um, I still kind of like think that. Um, and I think with AD, like your point about AD, I think it's interesting because like, in my opinion, like, I mean, I think he was, I don't know for sure, but I think he was like six for nine from the field, which is like obviously a great shooting percentage. Um, in the spots he was getting, say, you were you were talking about basically um, the spots he was getting uh, the ball in. Okay, yeah. So I was saying I feel like he was getting the ball in like a lot of the spots that he normally does, but when they sent that double team, um, you know, he didn't make his moves quick enough um, or make a decision quick enough, and I think that kind of threw off the the flow of the offense too. So I think. If they make those adjustments, they'll be fine. And I think they'll probably win game four. The Lakers will. Not going to win many games when you turn the ball over 22 times. And if LeBron has eight turnovers too. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's been a, a, a theme I've seen with AD, though, is that when teams double team him, when he doesn't read and react quick enough, the Lakers' whole offense kind of falls apart to an extent. I mean, still, if you still have LeBron, but you need AD to be dominant because you need that paint presence. I mean, he shot one, I think, two free throws last night. So, that's also a problem there too, because, you know, he's a guy that can get to the free throw line. Like he's like, I call him the James Harden of big men in terms of free throws. I mean, the guy has like 15 free throws sometimes a game, um, you know, in, the, in that sense. But I think shifting over to another thing too. Um, so Mike D'Antoni, as you know, got, I, I don't know if it was fired or he, or he decided to leave. I, I'm, I'm assuming fired. Um, I, I, it was understandable. I mean, if when you have five years, even with his, his success, you haven't gotten to an NBA championship with that talent. Um, I think that's a bit of a problem, but I was wondering, you know, where do you think the best fit for him is and, you know, where do you think, um, you know, he can bring the best success to a team? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting just to be completely honest with you. I've never really been a huge fan of Mike D'Antoni. Um, me neither, (laughs) you know, with the, (laughs) yeah, like I think he's obviously, you know, he's, um, very good offensive mind. I think he, he definitely lets his guys go um, and, and run and play free. But I think, especially now, I think there are a lot of really interesting candidates um, who, you know, don't have jobs. Like we just saw Doc Rivers got, got the job. Um, we saw Steve Nash earlier, which I thought think was, you know, a really interesting hire um, without having any coaching experience, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I think he definitely has, one of the greatest basketball minds to ever play. Um, so I think Steve Nash will def- ha- definitely has the potential to be. Um, and then, you know, you have guys like, you know, Jason Kidd, Teron Liu, um, a bunch of other guys, even I think Kenny Smith said that he wants to be an executive or maybe not a coach. But my point is, I think there are a lot of other guys who, if I were a GM, um, I'd rather hire. And the reason for that is just because I think his lack of defensive focus and also his lack of like true um results in a way um kind of makes me a bit skeptical 
also, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to fit into a place unless the team is willing to go small. Um, I think that's like what he wants to do. He's said that in, an, in a literally an interview to Steve Nash that he wished they went small. I look, I, I get the league wants to go small because they want to shoot up a lot of threes. I get that, you know, you want big shooting threes, but not having a rim protector is a big problem, I think, because you have so many dynamic guards that can get to the rim. If you have no one, like that's what you saw in the Lakers series. I mean, LeBron just literally was driving through and he had like PJ Tucker content, you know, contesting him. I mean, he's going to lay the ball in and score, you know, 90% of the time. And anyway, he's still going to finish a good percentage. Even there is a rim protector there. If you don't have no one there, he's just going to dunk it. And that's, you know, going down. But um, in my opinion with Mike D'Antoni, you know, people might, like, I was thinking like, if he had to get a job, it'd be the Pelicans. Cause you could put Zion in a small ball five but Zion's not a three-point shooter, really. I mean, he can hit it, but that's not his game. So I'm not sure D'Antoni really fits it. Like I, So, like, in my opinion, I'm not a big Tyron Lue guy because I, I just think that when you're coaching LeBron, you know, some people are going to look at it as, like, LeBron kind of coaching the team. I think even Vogel, you know, Vogel's a good job defensively. LeBron is kind of dictated, I think, a lot of the offense. Um, I think a guy like Sam Cassell deserves a chance just because I think his championship knowledge, winning three championships at least, um, is something you can take for, you know, consideration. Also, I think a guy like Jeff Van Gundy could be interesting too. Um, Cause he's a, he, he's a no nonsense kind of guy, Mark Jackson, another guy. Um, I still don't understand why Mark Jackson is on the job yet, but um, I, I think that might be predicated based on the fact that maybe he didn't get along so well with management and, and uh, the Warriors. But um, I don't know if you think any of those guys would be a good candidate um, over like, do you think, do you think Mark Jackson deserves to go to a place like the Pelicans or, you know, any other team that's kind of looking for a head coach? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I said, if I were a GM, I'd rather have every single guy you named before, um, Dan Tony. Um, so, you know, I may be a little bit biased, but I I agree. Like, I think when the Rockets let go of Capella, I was um, very surprised um, because I thought Capella, to me, like Capella was kind of that glue guy. Um, and I think both he obviously added the defense presence with the rebounding and the, and the, you know, rim protecting, but at the same time, like when it was Harden and, and him in the pick and roll. And then, you know, the year before when it was Chris Paul and, and Capella in the pick and roll like that added a lot of, I think, um, you know, it, it, it added kind of like a dynamic flavor to their offense that I think, um, you know, you can't do when you don't have a six eleven guy who can jump. So um, to answer your question, I'd rather have, you know, every single other guy you mentioned. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure D'Antoni will end up in some place um, because I think the NBA is kind of political, um, but I'd rather have, uh, you know, a lot of the other guys you mentioned. Yeah. That's, that, that's one thing I think about Doc Rivers too. Like, look, look, Doc Rivers is a, a good coach, um, but I think recently he hasn't really done too well. Um, and look, I think, He's a better candidate, obviously, than Mike D'Antoni to get the 76ers job. I would agree with that, too, because hopefully he can motivate MB to stay in shape and for Ben Simmons to get a jump shot. But that's a tough job. Um, and I got, my thing is, like, if you're not motivating, you know, the guys on the Clippers to, you know, get out of their own egos and start playing team ball, I don't know with the guys who I think are even less mature than those guys how it works out. But I want to shift over to just, you know, this is something I actually was thinking about in the middle of our conversation was, just did you think small ball would, or at least the Rockets would have been better with Chris Paul than Westbrook? Because I'm under the presumption, I think they would have been. And that's maybe people might look at that and say, what are you talking about? Westbrook had a great season, but he didn't perform in the playoffs. And I'm talking about from a shooting perspective, Westbrook's not a great shooter. 
Um, even though he's great in the paint and one of the best guards in terms of getting to the basket, I think we'll ever see. Having Chris Paul, a guy that can at least direct the offense and can shoot, you saw in OKC what he could do. So I don't know if you think the same thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't thought about that. I think one thing I will say, I think Russell Westbrook does get a lot of flack. Um, and like, I mean, there are people trying to say like he's not a good point guard or like not a good player. And I think that's a bit crazy. Um, like, I think the impact that Westbrook brings to the game, as well as the way he always sort of creates and manages and dictates the tempo. Um, you know, I think that's big, but I think in order to win and really be successful in small ball, like you have to have a guy who is not only controlling the tempo, but like understanding, like, like, for example, like Chris Paul's assisted turnover ratio is like historically been crazy. And I think, you know, controlling the ball um, is part of controlling the pace. And I think Chris Paul probably would have done a better job at that than, than Westbrook did. Um, and then, like you said, like Westbrook's ability to shoot, excuse me, Chris Paul's ability to shoot, um, you know, stretches the defense and um, I think keeps the defense a bit more honest um, in that sense. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting, you know, conversation you have to, you have to think about, but I don't know what exactly my answer would be to that. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about that just in the moment. But um, shifting your residence, obviously you're from Virginia, you know, like near the D.C. area. Um, I wanted to actually, you know, I want to talk about the Washington football team, but also uh, before I get into that, I don't know if you saw the recent video of John Wall playing in a uh, pickup game recently. Um, he looked really good. Um, I didn't so. see that. I, I, it's funny. I, it popped up on my Twitter page, my Twitter feed, and I purposefully did not click on it because <laughs> – I hate these like summer workout videos and off season workout videos. And then they come to the season and like are just terrible. So <laughs> I purposefully did not click on that, but hopefully he does do well. Yeah, no, but uh, on a more serious note, obviously uh, sh shifting over to the Washington football team. So their record isn't great, um, but on a positive note, I was looking at their defense recently and a lot of, um, you know, NFL related kind of sources have ranked them in the top 10 defensively because of their pass rush second in sacks and the eighth lowest quarterback uh, rating when they go, when quarterbacks go against them. So like, what, what exactly do you think the problem is? Cause it's cl it clearly isn't really their pass rush or their, their ability to get to a quarterback or play defense. Um, you know, why they're like one and three. I mean, again, they might still win the division because the division's so bad, but um, you know, what do you think the problems are with the team? Yeah. Well, it's funny you, you mentioned the division because I was thinking about it too. I was like, we're one and three, we stink, but you know, there still is obviously a chance for us to be successful um, because our division's so bad. And I think, like you said, that pass rush is, is really, really um, intimidating. Um, and it's been successful. And, you know, that's been, I think three games without Chase Young too. Um, like he's been hurt and he was supposed to be, you know, our, one of our impact guys this year. So I think, when he comes back, you know, the, the defense looks even scarier. Um, but I think offensively, like Dwayne Haskins is, uh, you know, he's, he's young. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm now willing to say that he's not good um, because I think he does have potential. However, um, I think in order for us to be successful right now, there either has to be a change there um, or he has to play, you know, a lot better because we do have playma playmakers um, I think, you know, on the ed, excuse me, on the, um, at the wide receiver position. And um, I think we have some impact guys, but it's just a matter of, 
you know, making sure we're on the same page. And I think a lot of that deals with the quarterback. How remarkable is it in your opinion, seeing Ron Rivera, you know, fighting cancer, you know, being on the sidelines, still coaching the uh, team. Like, just like, I mean, I, I talk about a tough guy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Like, I think I probably should have mentioned him first. Like I think over the course of my lifetime, I, I don't even know how many coaches we've had. Like it's been embarrassing. Um, and I think a lot of the coaches and three record. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're good. Okay. Yeah. I think, Wall, yeah, my bad. I think while uh, a one and three record, you know, isn't great. Um, I think Rivera's impact on the team um, has sort of been like that, that like hard nose and tough mentality. Um, and that again, like him, you know, dealing with his personal life um, while still managing to, you know, be a good coach is a testament to that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. At least I'm a Giants fan. Right. And comparing quarterbacks, at least, um, I think you, you can't pull the trigger quite yet on both of those guys, because I think, um, at least from the Giants' perspective, I mean, we don't really have anything on the offensive line. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones is a terrible decision maker when under pressure. Um, I, I mean, watching NFL games, he's one of the worst I've seen. He, when, he, when he's about to get sacked, he just throws up in the air and then he gets an interception. Uh, but Dwayne Haskins also is a guy who I think has talents, but his decision making also at times is really suspect. Like he has games where he'll throw a bunch of yards and look good, and then he'll throw two interceptions, right? And um, especially, you know, obviously with Carson Wentz being not great this year um, and the Cowboys not finding any way to, you know, play good until they're down 25 to nothing. Um, you know, I think the Redskins defense could be interesting because the Cowboys have a great offense, but their offense is only good when they're down by 25 points. Um, so um, I don't know if you, you, you see any faith that that happened if they play, you know, the Eagles with a suspect Carson Wentz and a suspect kind of team generally and the Cowboys who just don't seem to want to get off to good starts. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting, like towards the end of the season, um, specifically in regards to like Washington, because I think, like you said, like, I think Haskins has talent, but I think a lot of it is time and in professional sports nowadays, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, um, you know, whatever you kind of want to look at, uh, fans as well as organizations are very impatient and they don't want to kind of go through those growing pains um, because they expect, you know, greatness immediately. But I think, you know, with young teams, um, young quarterbacks in particular, like that's something you kind of have to deal with. Um, and then once you break through those growing, pain, growing pains, like it can be really successful for you. So I'm excited. I hope, you know, Dwayne Haskins can um, continue to improve and, you know, he has had really, really good moments. So I think he, he definitely has potential. Before I shift into the last topic, I wanted to briefly talk about this because I wish Yaya was on this podcast. I wanted to talk to him about <laughs> this, but um, with the Clippers, right? Um, just just because he, like, he and I had a lot of conversations about it. And uh, I know obviously like, you guys, when we first talked about it in my original podcast, I had a lot of conversations about it as well. Um, you know, look, Doc Rivers definitely deserves a, a good amount of the blame for what happened. Um, do I think he deserves all the blame? No. Um, I think Paul George and the chemistry issues, and I think the fact that they didn't want to play together um, are part of it. Um, I think Kawhi Leonard also not taking fault for his game seven performance is a big problem. Um, I, I don't know if you saw it. There's an article in USA Today that I read uh, a while back, and he was saying how he blamed his teammates' intelligence, not being able to play off of them. 
for why he shot six of 22 in game seven. Um, so again, like with all that coming up, you know, do you think that, um, you know, it was, it's right to blame a lot more of this on Kawhi than I think the media is even just going to, um, cause if this was, if this was LeBron James, everyone would be like saying LeBron is the worst player of all time because that's what they do. So I don't know if that's what you, if you think that same way. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think blaming Kawhi, like one, I don't think blaming one individual, uh, really shows or is right in this situation. Um, but you know, if, if I had to choose, I would say Paul George is probably the biggest factor because, you know, in a lot of cases, even more than Kawhi, I think Paul George is the go-to guy sometimes on that team in certain situations. Um, and, you know, he didn't show up. And I think it is more than just, you know, their star players though. Like, I feel like whenever, since they got back in the bubble, they were never really, um, the team that we saw earlier and that we kind of expected, um, you know, Lou Williams had his issue, um, where he left the bubble and, you know, came back. And I think that just kind of shows how disjointed and, I don't want to say unfocused, but um, just like the lack of preparation, it kind of seemed that they showed. Yeah, I, I think another thing that, you know, obviously the, the reason I was thinking about Kawhi is just because when I look at the media, I mean, obviously they're saying Doc Rivers, Paul George are like the two guys to blame, right? And I just wanted to at least like point that out there. But another thing I just wanted to quickly touch on too is the fact that I think you made a good point about it being unfocused because what happened against the Nuggets, for example, was just, I think, partially unfocused but like I mean look the Nuggets made adjustments good for them you know they did a good defensive scheme by packing the paint against a mid-range dominant player in Kawhi Leonard right and made Paul George um, take tough contested threes which again you know that's what you should do against a team like that but being unfocused I mean look Montrezl what happened to his grandmother I mean like I you know I feel terrible for him but you know unfortunately you know coming back into and trying to come right into the playoffs and play you could just tell he was out of shape and he's always kind of been a defensive liability just because his height is a problem when he goes against a guy like Jokic because Jokic can always shoot over him because Harrell's six, seven and Jokic is seven, one. So it's a big difference. Um, but that's actually what, like, since I know you're, you uh, appreciate Jokic's game a lot, you know, how impressive was he and Murray and like, where do you see that team going forward? I think they could be a championship contender. Um, I think they have a chance to be in the next couple of years, uh, win a championship. I really, really believe in that team, uh, especially if Michael Porter Jr. turns out to what he can be. Um, but I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, I will say that what, you know, we had a discussion back when we were on campus last fall. Um, I said that I thought Jokic would be the MVP this year. Um, you know, obviously that did not come to fruition. However, I think he did show his potential um, to be that good, you know, in the playoffs. Um, I think him and Murray are really, really scary um, because they both are so dynamic and versatile. Um, and then also like the way the Nuggets play is just really, really exciting. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously Michael Porter Jr. as well, but like Jeremy Grant, I think had a breakout, um, you know, performances in the bubble. Um, you know, guys like Gary Harris are really good as well. Um, and, you know, they have, I think they have a lot of pieces and they play similar to the Warriors in the sense where, you know, a bunch of different people can do different things. Everybody's constantly moving. 
Um, and I think what's different between the Nuggets and the Warriors is that, you know, with Jokic being on the inside and having that inside presence and really being able to facilitate, um, it keeps the defense on their toes. So they're young. Um, they play with a lot of energy and like a chip on their shoulder too, which is dope. Um, so I, I definitely see them being really successful and, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a bold prediction for next season that Jokic will in fact be, you know, at the top of the MVP race. Yeah. I actually don't choose my MVP for next year. So um, that might be another bold prediction. Cause I like, I, again, I think these European guys, what they are, these guys are coming into the NBA at least or what they're able to bring is that if they're able to play professionally at an early age, you just see a complete difference in those guys' gains because they're used to playing against really good competition and they're used to playing against guys who want to get in their head. I mean, I appreciate Jokic a lot because I love that, like, you know, this is the thing with Pat Beverly, like everyone, you know, everyone likes the fact that he's an agitator, right? And he gets in people's heads. But remember he was making fun of Jokic for flailing and Jokic just didn't even really care. He's just like, yeah, we shot less free throws than your team. So who like, you know, who really cares? Um, but I think the last thing that I wanted to wrap up with was, so we kind of touched on a little bit, but I wanted to get dive into it a little deeper. So look, I think Zion has a lot, again, good rookie year, but you know, obviously his weight was a bit of an issue um, in the bubble. Um, he was really out of shape. Um, and I think a coach with a motivational type style, like a Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson type would be better than a Dan Tony because Dan Tony's just going to, you know, not have him play defense at all. Um, I mean, just, again, like you're just looking at the resumes and, He's going to try and make, you know, Zion a three-point shooter, which is great, but Zion's best attribute is five feet and in, right? So, um, you know, going back to that question, like who do you think would be the ideal coach for him? Yeah, um, I think it's – that's a really good question, um, first off. I think one thing that, you know, you really – like a GM, in my opinion, really has to think about is who else – is surrounded who else surrounds uh zion williamson so like i think the best coach for zion also has to be the best coach for lonzo ball um also has to be you know the best coach for drew holiday because i think what a lot of people don't realize is how while zion is such an impactful offensive defensive presence um you know through his athleticism through his body and through his skill um you know he's also an um i think also in a weird way he's a glue guy as well like he brings everyone together um so the reason why i say that is because i think the coach not only has to fit his his playing style and what he's good at skill wise but also his personality um and and the way he he sort of carries himself um so i i I don't know exactly if I have a name, um, but I would say a coach who I think gives his players like freedom to be who they are and like do what they do. And obviously in the NBA, like a lot of coaches do that, but I think, um, you know, you see it more with certain guys than others. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure of a specific name, but I'd say a coach who definitely gives, um, you know, Zion freedom, but also, um, you know, wants to to run because I think that's the style that Lonzo and other guys around him like to play also. Um, so anyways, before obviously we head off here, um, there, is there anything uh, you want to like, you know, like what have you been doing? Um, you know, just, just keep yourself, you know, busy in shape and all that kind of stuff. Um, how's your shoulder doing um, and all kind of stuff for just some viewers who don't know. 
Yeah, uh, well, thanks for asking. My shoulder's doing pretty good, uh, excuse me, pretty well. Um, I, I'm trying to rehab it and like lift as much as possible um, just to you know, keep it strong, um, keep it stable. But uh, I've been doing that six days a week. Um, been working out basketball skill work and stuff. Um, have not been playing five on five yet um, just because my shoulder is still, um, you know, I, I still have a torn labrum there. So I'm still trying to keep it intact as long as possible. Um, and I'm just doing a lot of skill work, a lot of shooting, um, a lot of pick and roll stuff. Um, so I've been doing that and then also working, um, doing an internship, uh, working for a company in New York City, which is really cool. Um, and then other than that, just been hanging with family, trying to enjoy the time back home. It's been nice. This is like the longest time I've spent home since high school. So uh, it's been great to like spend time with my family um, and then, you know, a few people who are close to me at home. Well, Grant, uh, thank you so much again for being on. Um, always a pleasure having you on, dude. I always think it's a great to have, a, you know, a, your perspective, obviously, on these different topics and everything like that. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, this one will probably get a lot of views just because, you know, this is how it is with, uh, you know, game time, Grant, you know. Uh, <laughs> all jokes aside, though, um, you know, thank you again for being on. And, uh, you know, obviously, welcome back anytime. So, you know, you can always just let me know. And, uh, you know, always happy to have you back on. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Can't wait to have these uh, discussions in person soon. So thanks a lot. Absolutely.